Father, this morning we just come and just rest in your presence. Crying out, blessed is your name. Holy is your name. And we give you all the honor and the glory. In these moments, would you, Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you after a set like that. Um, I remember growing up in the other worship center, uh, we'd have somebody cry out. Now that was good singing. Amen? That was good singing. If you have your Bibles, would you take them and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16 is where we will be. It's the passage that uh, Pastor Dave read for us this morning. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 17 more specifically in that passage. And uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, I believe you can find that on page 950. Matthew chapter 16. As you turn there, let me bring you up to speed a little bit on our family. We've been here since uh, the end of March, and we've been getting settled into our uh, new, my new position. And uh, just last week, we finally moved in to our new home. And uh, we are very excited about being here uh, in Mill Creek and only being about three miles away from the church. And uh, as you can imagine, we've been spending this past week navigating through all of the boxes that come with a move from one home to another. If you've ever moved, you know what I'm talking about. We've got boxes on top of boxes inside of boxes from the garage to the living room to the family room. I don't even know where things are. I know we have them, but I don't know where they are. And um, uh, we are glad to be in a house, and, uh, but there are times when it becomes very, very frustrating in this process to uh, realize on Saturday night that you don't have socks for Sunday morning. Realizing on Saturday night that you have an iron, but no ironing board. And so we made a trip out to Kmart. The past, it was last week I did that, uh, about 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and picked up what we needed. But there are times when we just become sick of sitting among the boxes that fill the house. But it's at that moment that I remember that the boxes that fill my house represent a reminder of the journey that we've been on. It's a reminder of the journey that we've been on for the last 11 months. You see, we've been homeless for 11 months. Now, we've had an apartment to live in and we've had a couple of different houses to live in during that time, but, but we haven't had a home for 11 months. And our possessions, the things that, that we held near and dear to us, have been scattered over two different states and 300 different miles. And that was hard. That was a hard season of our lives. It was very tense, and it was very trying, and it was very tiring, and it was very consuming. It was filled of moments of disillusionment 
Moments of complete frustration. And so, as we look at every box and as we unpack every box, we can't help but remember those moments of tension, those moments of frustration. And it's almost cathartic to take the things out of the box, place them, fold the box up, and set it out for the garbage. It's almost freeing to be able to do that. Because for 11 months, we lived in this tension. And as the husband and as the father of the home, the head of the house, I chose to carry a lot of the burden that came with walking in that tension. I knew in my heart, I knew in my heart that with Christ as the leader of my life, I could rest and I could trust in Him. I knew in my heart that God was in control of our lives and that He had a plan and that someday we would be on the other side of this frustrating moment. We would be on the other side of this tension and be able to look back and see what God had brought us through. I knew that in my heart. But every day, I would have to wake up and come face to face with the reality of that tension and live in that frustration and live in that moment. It was that tension between what I knew to be true in my heart coming smack dab against what I was experiencing every day. What I was dealing with personally, what I was dealing with professionally, what we were dealing with as a result of all that as a family. It was this, this tension that we lived in. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You see, as, as I've come on staff, I've, I've taken the opportunities to visit the different ABF Adult Bible Fellowship groups that meet on Sunday morning. And I've taken the opportunity to listen and to hear the stories and the prayer requests that are being shared in those groups. I've taken the opportunity to listen to conversations that are happening in the hallways. I've read the, the emails that come across our, our office chain. I read the prayer requests that are on the sheets. I interact and I talk with different people. And for the past few months, I've realized and understood one thing. You know exactly what it means to live in that tension. To live in those moments of frustration where what you believe in your heart comes straight against what you are facing in everyday life. And there are moments and perhaps there are even seasons of our lives that we live with this tension. And it's exhausting. And it's frustrating. And on an extreme end, it's very disillusioning. And we, can, and we can and we tend at times to give up and turn our backs. We live in this tension between faith and life. A tension between what we proclaim on Sunday morning and what we sing about. The, the blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and He takes away and we rejoice and we sing and we clap and we amen. But then what happens when Monday morning when we wake up we're faced with the taking away? It's that tension. 
We all struggle with it and we all live in it. It comes at different moments. For you, it may not be being homeless for 11 months and feeling like you're in constant transition. But for you, it may be the phone call from the doctor's office that says we need to talk in person. For you, it may be the reality of corporate downsizing, the loss of a job, the plant closing, the jobs being transferred. It may be an addiction that's destroying your life and ruining your family. Maybe it's a spouse who packed up the bags and said, I'm leaving. Maybe maybe it's a, a son or a daughter who looks you square in the eyes and with a heart of stone says, forget you and forget your God. I'm out of here. What do we say in those moments? What do we sing in those times? This is the tension between life and faith that we as Christ followers live with. It's in these moments, in these seasons, when the answer to one question will determine how we respond to those moments. The answer to one question will, res- will determine the, the, the way we react and the way we respond in those tense-filled moments. The question is, who do we say Jesus is? Our answer to that question, not here on Sunday morning, not here surrounded by all of our friends in corporate worship and singing with the band and lifting our voice, not here, not the answer that we can come up with here, but the answer in the middle of the night, in the middle of your brokenness, when the tears are screaming, streaming down your face and you can't sleep because of the tension, the answer then is what's important. Because I believe the answer at that moment is critical to the decisions that we will make and it can change the entire trajectory of our lives if we have the right answer to that question in that moment. Who do you say Jesus is? The question is that big. It's that important. The question is that critical. And Jesus, He understood this. He knew that question was huge. He knew that question had to be answered, not in the context of of teaching and miracles and healing, but in the quiet context of a single moment in the lives of the disciples he knew it was important and he had to ask it apart from what was going on and by the time we get to Matthew chapter 16 what we realize is that Jesus has spent the last three plus years with these followers of him with these disciples, with these people who have given up their lives, their livelihood, have sacrificed everything just to follow Him. When we get to Matthew chapter 16, we get beyond the teaching. 
And it's here that Jesus asks that important question. Because after Matthew chapter 16, the whole tone of the book changes. Everything changes after Matthew 16. Because it's there that Jesus turns and sets his eyes on Jerusalem. And he walks towards the cross. From 16 to the end of the book, it's only a few days until Jesus finds himself in the hands of those who would crucify him. And so it is here. After years of teaching, after years of investing in the lives of his disciples, and just before the tension of the cross, it's here that Jesus asks this question, pauses for a moment to see how his followers would answer him. Who do you say I am? Before we get into Peter's answer and response to that, what I'd like us to do is just unpack that setting a little bit more. Take your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16, and let's look at verses 13 and 14. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What's interesting to me is not necessarily at this point what Jesus asked them, but it's where Jesus asked them. It was here in the region of Caesarea Philippi, which sits about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's right along the foothills of Mount Hermon. It has one of the largest water sources that comes out of those those canyons and feeds the Jordan River. And because of the abundant water supply, it was a natural and popular place for religious worship. It was Gentile country. And so there were a number of pagan temples that were in this area, built to worship Greek gods and other gods, but more specifically in this area, the Greek god Pan. In fact, the cave from which the water flowed that ended up in the Jordan River, that cave became a center of pagan worship. Near the cave and along the mountainside, there were niches in the mountain. And it was in these niches that the the people, the, the secular people, would set their pagan gods so that they could look up and, and worship these gods and so that these pagan gods would have a high place to look down and see the people of that region. And it was in the middle of this pagan culture, in the middle of this pagan surrounding, in the middle of this worldly culture with all of the the, the pagan influence and all of the pagan worship and all of the pagan idols surrounding Jesus and his disciples, that he turns and he asks the question, who do the people say that I am? The people the people that we come in contact with every day, the people that we've journeyed with, the people that we teach with, the people that we interact with, who do the people say that I am? And the disciples start, start 
you know, replying to Jesus what the, what the rumor mill has, what the, what the latest gossip column was. And they start replying by saying, some say that you're, that you're John the Baptist, the spirit of John the Baptist has come back. Some say that you are uh, the spirit of Elijah or even the spirit of Jeremiah. There seems to be some confusion and some debate among the people about who Jesus really is. To be sure, he's done some really good things. To be sure, he's a really good teacher. To be sure, Jesus has a really good economic philosophy of helping the poor. But who is he really? You know what? In the end, he's probably just one of the others. He's probably just another prophet. He's just another one. It's amazing how people see Jesus as just another one. Another teacher, another speaker, another religious leader. He's just another Christmas card on the shelf. He's just another. And so it's no wonder that in moments of tension, when life in the world meets life of faith that we struggle. It's no wonder when our two worlds come together that we wrestle with what is happening in our lives. It's no wonder that, that our lives are filled with, with so much angst and so much anxiety. The people who are wrapped up and influenced by this pagan culture that surrounds them and looks down on them sees Jesus as just another. He's just someone else. And so as I wrestle with what's happening in my life, as I live in this tension, if I agree with the people and only see Jesus as another, my anxiety goes through the roof. I don't know how I'm going to hold on to life. And I don't know how I'm going to get through what I'm going through. But to Peter and the disciples, Jesus was much, much more than that. Look again at these words in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Jesus takes this moment and turns the question from what others were thinking to what they were thinking. It was a very poignant and direct question set in a way that, that says to them, what about you? It was almost very direct and very specific to each one of the people that followed him that day. What about you? Who do you say I am? You've been with me for years now. You've made sacrifices along the way. You've heard my teachings. So in light of all of this, all of the world has to offer you, all of its practices and all of its belief systems, in light of all the rumors and the stories and the distorted truth of who people say I am, the question is, who do you say 
I am. David Schroeder, former president of Nyack College and Alliance Theological Seminary, writes that ultimately Jesus was not interested in the opinion of the public, but in the belief of his intimate followers. Jesus set the stage. He, he set them up with the first question, who do you think, who do the people say that I am? But more importantly, Jesus was more interested in what his followers would say, those who claimed to follow Jesus, who walked with him, who listened to his teaching, who bought into what was going on around them. His question was now directed back to them personally. Who do you say I am? And it's here that, that Peter steps up and speaks out not only his mind, but Peter represents the whole group. Now, if any of you are, are uh, students of the Bible, you know that when Peter speaks, you better buckle up because you don't know where he's going with some things, right? He's out there saying things, putting his foot in his mouth. Soon he's going to be chopping ears off of people. You just don't know what you're going to get when Peter speaks. But here, for the first time, Peter gets it right. And up until this point, this is probably the most profound statement made by a follower of Christ, made by one of the disciples. He answers the biggest question with an even bigger statement. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, to you and me, we may hear that and read that and say, okay, yeah, I get that. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's move on and see what else he has to say. But we need to pause and we need to slow down and we need to just rest in that statement for a minute because this comment is profound. To the public, to others in society, he's just a great teacher or the form of another prophet. But not to Peter and these boys. That's not who he is. That's not who they've put their lives in and passionately pursued. Not just another. Not just someone else. To them, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in one sentence... Peter gives an answer that speaks both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. It's a profound answer given his setting, given his surroundings, with pagan worship and pagan idols all around him. He speaks truth to the pagan culture. And given his background and the background and the upbringing of those who followed Jesus, he speaks truth also to the Jewish teachings and expectations. In one sentence, he speaks both to the Jews and the Gentiles. He is the Christ. He is more than a teacher. He is more than a wandering miracle worker. He is the anointed Messiah 
when reading this in context, the, the fact of, of the way that it is written doesn't speak to him just as the Christ, as some kind of, of, uh, of identifier or mark. He is, he is speaking to Jesus and identifying him as the Messiah. It is him who the Jews who have been looking for. He is not just another. He is the one. He is the one that the Jews have been looking for to save them from their captivity, to usher in God's kingdom, and to redeem their people. Look no further, Israel. He is the Messiah. He is our hope. He is our Redeemer. He is our Rescuer. No one else, nothing else, will give us the hope, will rescue us, will redeem us from the tension that we live in. You can try to go to other people. You can try other substances and other sources. But I tell you this, other people and other things will only leave you wanting more. They do not fill. They do not satisfy. They are not the answer to your problems, to your struggles, to what you're walking through. There is only one answer. The Christ. The Messiah. He is our hope. Our hope alone. Yet too often, in the tension of life, we lose our grip on this truth. Somehow what we've been walking through and what we're, we're experiencing as we walk out the doors on Sunday and face life on Monday through Saturday, somehow in that bombardment of the week, we lose our grip on who Jesus is and we forget that He is our Deliverer, that He is our Redeemer, that He is the One who rescues us. Nothing else in this culture. And if we're not careful, we will also lose our grip on the fact that He is not only the Christ, but He is also the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He is not godly, and He is not God-like. He is God. As the Son, His very nature is that of the Father, the Father God. He has the power, He has the position, He has the prestige, and He has the authority of not just any household, of not just any family in the community, but He has the power and the prestige and the authority all from God. The Creator of heaven and earth has handed over His authority to Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. You think your family name carries some weight in this community? Jesus' name carries weight in the world. He is the Son of God. We don't worship another. We don't sacrifice and invest ourselves in following some other teacher or person. We follow the anointed Son of God 
The one who has all power and all authority, not given by a county or a state or a country, but the power and the authority that is given under heaven. This is who Jesus is. He's also the Son of the living God. If you would look this up in the, in the, in the Greek, the way this is actually translated word for word is that Peter's response is, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the Living One. In the middle of the pagan culture, again, get the picture of where Peter is when he makes this comment. He's standing in the middle of pagan society with the idols surrounding him. The idols that the people would turn and worship. It's in the middle of this culture that Peter says he is not only the Christ, he is not only the Son of God, he is the Son of the living God. Peter shouts back that this Jesus is alive and active. You've set up, you set up temples to worship the water that comes out of, out of this cave. I tell you, we worship the one who is living water, who will fill us, who does quench the desire of our heart. That's who we worship. He is alive. He is active. He moves and He lives and He breathes in our hearts and in our spirits and in our lives. Our God is not dead. He is alive. And He lives in us. That message of truth echoed through the caves and the niches of Caesarea Philippi just like it should echo through our hearts as well. And it was a very profound statement because in just a few days they would experience the greatest tension that they ever could imagine. The tension of what they proclaimed to be true with what they faced in their daily lives. As in just a few days, this Jesus would hang on a cross and die. The Messiah, the Son of God, the living one, is now dead on a cross. How many people run the other way when days grow dark? How many people abandon their faith and belief when the valley of the shadow of death seems to be engulfing them? How many people recant their testimony when all seems lost? Hang on. Just hang on. Trust in the middle of your tension, in the middle of your frustration, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night. Trust. Trust that He is the Messiah. Trust that He is the Son of God. Trust that He is the living God. Because three days later, death and the grave could not hold him because Jesus was resurrected to new life 
New life that he passes on to each and every one of us who would decide to follow him. New life that has been transformed and changed and radically made over. This life he offers. He is the son of the living God. Imagine. Imagine what would happen in our daily life. Especially in those moments of tension. Imagine what would happen if we trusted Christ to really be who He is. Imagine if we would just hang on to Him and we would just wait on Him to see us through. Imagine if we never gave up and we walked through life with Christ. What would it be like on the other side of the struggle? What would it be like to look back and to see where we've come from and what we've been through and, and, and how we handled it if, if we got to the other side and we were still holding in our grip the truth of Christ and we really believed that in our heart. Imagine what Christ would reveal to us if we trusted Him to be God alone. What would it look like in our lives? As we sit in the midst of this culture, with all of its allure and all of its confusion, when the doctor calls, when the plant closes, when addiction grips our lives, when our spouse is gone and when our children leave who do we say Jesus is this morning as we close Amy's going to come and and sing and I want to invite you to just spend these few moments in quiet reflection a season of prayer if you will to reflect upon your life and your tension. Maybe you're in the middle of a tension right now. And you believe in your heart everything that we sang this morning. But you know that come tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, you're going to be faced with something that is just totally unimaginable. And you have to, you have to wrestle with the two. What will you do? How will you handle it? Maybe for some of you this morning you've realized that that you've let your grip slip on the truth that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that all you need to do is just reaffirm today in your heart for your life who He is. As she sings, you reflect. The prayer altars are always open if you want to come and pray. This is your time with God this morning. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not.
Father, the reality is that there are moments when we feel very weak. When we don't know how to handle what life is throwing our way. And we just need to stop and regroup. God, help us to let these words of Peter that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, 
not just be loose words that we throw around, but God, that they would be imprinted on our hearts and they would mold the way we respond to everyday life. There are some here right now that for them their world is falling apart. They find themselves in the middle of a night, in the middle of a storm, and they need hope. They need you. And God, for some of us, we will find ourselves again in those moments of tension. And when we do, help us to have the answer that will keep us focused on you and honoring you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Go in God's peace and his grace.